Population aging is like the rain. It's inevitable. Yes, of course, it could be a tremendous headwind if we're not prepared for it. If we just say, well, look, this is just a new reality, a new paradigm, we have to adapt to it, then there's no reason why it couldn't be an opportunity. The short answer for me, I'm sure going to be slightly different to what many other people say, is just to improve rural elderly care services. I think this is really of the utmost priority in China right now. The facility construction and the human resources in this elder care service facilities are of great importance. And right now, I think the elder care service industry is not a high salary sector, which means it cannot attract talented young people, which can give a high quality of the services. For the retirement life, the most important thing is try to keep as healthy as you can, you know. And the second is that try to keep your financial investment stable and healthy. You don't have to make a lot of money, but your investment must be very stable. Put your money only in the very trustworthy financial institutions, like the very large national banks, stuff like that. Don't drop yourself into too much specialized investment. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tu Yun. Joining our discussion on the growing potential of China's silver-haired economy, or simply known as silver economy, are Professor Hunai Jun, School of Public Policy and Management, University of Chinese Academy of Sciences. Professor Stuart Gito Baston, Division of Social Science and Public Policy, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Beijing-based Novemarke Technologies. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. So before we tap into the business potential of China's silver economy, I'd like to ask each of you uh, the following questions. Have you thought about a plan for your own retirement? And um, what kind of retirement are you looking forward to? Can you imagine yourself spending the rest of your life in the nursing home after retirement? Shall we begin with um, Stuart, please? Um, I want to spend as little time as possible in a nursing home. Ideally, I would be in our little flat in uh, Spain until the day before I die. Actually, no, until the day I die. And then that's it. That'll that'll be me uh, uh, done. And uh, yeah, my retirement, I think as with most people, I envisage my retirement as being, you know, kind of nice and relaxing and walking around the town and swimming and uh, uh, fishing and looking out to sea. Um, But then I'll probably get bored of that after a couple of years and then go back to doing other stuff and Mm. uh, working or volunteering and things like that. And then go back to doing that when I'm bored of working and volunteering again. I think that's how I see my retirement. Yeah. Mm. Name the most important, probably three things you, you may need or would like to have for your retirement. Well, I'm sorry to be uh, difficult about this, but I would say the most important thing is health. Right. The second most important thing is health. And the third most important thing is health. (laughs) If you've not got health, then, you know, money and happiness and well-being and, you know, goods and services and the silver economy and all these kind of things really don't mean anything Mm. um, unless you go into older age with health. And if you have health, then, you know, your uh, your possibilities are obviously much greater than if you you do not. I'm sorry, that's not if that's a tricky answer for you. But I I think that health is is the most important. I think it's uh, perfect. But anything, you know, any facilities that you, you must have after retirement, say, you know, provided by government, public facilities. 
Yeah. So, well, I think it comes from both sides, doesn't it? So, I mean, like, on the one hand, you know, you've got to have financial protection. You've got to have some income in older age. And, and that inevitably will be um, your own responsibility with the support of your employer and the government over a lifetime. That's inevitable. I think that coming from the other side in terms of goods and services, I think that the most, uh, I know I'm sure we'll talk about this later on, I think that the most important thing that the government can do is, uh, and, and the private sector mm-hmm. as well, is to provide a enabling, empowering environment for right. me to be as active and as healthy to have the best life I possibly can, which indeed, you know, includes consuming things as well and buying things and buying stuff. But I think it's about, you know, a kind of a more holistic approach to this to say, well, you know, am I creating, is the government, is the private sector creating a age-friendly environment, right? An mm. environment where I can live my my best life. I think that's what I'm looking for mm, in older age. And yes, that includes all the other kind of goods and services that I'm sure we'll talk about today. Sure. Um, to Nigel, who's also on our show for the first time, what will be your answers to those questions? Well, this question is a little bit of complicated. Right. Yes, I agree with Professor Seben on, on that. Health is very important. And I I should say I, I want to be healthy in my grand old age, but that's not easy. So mm-hmm. I will start health management right now. And also, I think financial protection, that is to say pension plan, True. is another very important thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the final one, in my opinion, is a kind of my social connections are is also very important. So I, I want to have as many as friends which can which the friendship can be lasted forever. Mm. <laughs> so I think these are three most important things to me. A house, financial protection and uh, in my opinion a social connection. Right. Have a ritual um social life. It would be very important right. for, for, right. for the age. Right. <laughs> and uh, to our um old friend Zahe, your answer please. If you talk about retirement, I think I've got enough experience to talk about this because if you say, well, officially uh, retirement means that you get away from the company and that you work eight hours a day and five days a week. Then I started retiring from my age of 35. Mm. So I'm 40 now. I've got five years of retirement already. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually my great grandfather retired at the age of 38 or something. So, so I think I probably yeah. just followed his path. And because I'm a, I'm an investor and writer myself. So actually, I'm still quite busy after getting away uh, from that fixed hour official job. Is that I keep on being busy all days, you know, talking with friends, making investment decisions trading stocks, you know, writing articles and talking to media. And this morning I have been busy trading for the whole morning until this program. So so it's it's actually been quite busy. I mean, so, so that... That to me doesn't sound like important. some retirement life. But you're yeah, it's, it's actually I've been it. retired for five years, you know, mm. officially speaking. <laughs> right. uh, and I think the most important thing that after you have been retired is that uh, you want your life to be fulfilled. You, you have to find something to do. Mm. And this thing is it better not to be something that you just make out yourself, you know, say, OK, I want to find something that I'll go to go to the beach every day and walk on there for two hours. That's not something that's not a social thing. That's something that you just plan for yourself. Mm. And you can easily give that up because, you you know, you are the only person decided that you are going to do this job. So you must find something that is still socially connected. For example, I write a column article for a newspaper every Friday. So so I just never give that up because I, if I give the, that up, well, they will have a blank place on their newspaper over the weekend. So I can't do that. So every Friday, uh, however busy I am or however lazy I am, I must write that article. I must sit down for like three or four hours to finish the article. So that's something very important for people who are retired. They must have something to do. So that's really, really important. And organizing people 
people together and making sure that they have something to do uh, is also something uh, beneficial for the society. You know, we need old people, retired people to do something for the society. Mm. So, so I think the most important thing for retirement life is that find something to do and find something that you must do. Well, uh, your retirement life sounds a bit unusual when compared with you know ordinary people like me. But、um, let's take this to a broader you know scope to the whole country. Nigerian, could you please? I know you've got a very in-depth research in this area. Could you please give us a a general picture of the senior population in China? You know the number of them or what percentage they make up of the entire population, things like that.、Uh, okay. Unfortunately,、uh, we have the latest or the newest statistic number, and the people aging above sixty right now is about three hundred million. That it takes account of more than fifteen percentage of the total population.、Uh, so I think、uh, this is the general picture of the whole、uh, elder population. But if we see last year in twenty twenty three, there are more than twenty million elder population, more than the year of last year twenty twenty two. So we can see a a twenty million increase in a single year. That is to say,、uh, in China, not only we have a very large population of elder people, but the velocity of our population aging is very fast. So we can see that we are bigger and faster than before because in nineteen sixties we have a very high infertility rate,、mm. and right now the people who were born in the nineteen sixties are entering into the stage of retirement, or we can say they are the elder population because they are above the age of sixty. So I think in the next ten years we will have a very increasing elder people population. So, from every aspect of a view, from the general aggregate, from the increase, from the future, we can say as the aging population issue in China is very, in my opinion, very sensitive and very important、mm. in every aspect. Right, three hundred million—that's not a small number. Then, do you see it more of a like a burden on the government? Especially in terms of the, you know, state pension fund or elderly care facilities and medical services, or that sounds to you more like、um, an opportunity. Well, if we only see the pension programs, the healthcare, the long-term care, etc., etc., it is a burden. But right now, we can see that、uh, the elder people's age is relatively younger than we are imagining, because one third of the elder population in China is aging from sixty to seventy. And one third of them are right now working. Actually, they are not completely retired. So we can see that from the silver economy's point of view,、mm. our government should encourage our elder population to work, to consume, to invest, to pay taxes. So I think the theory of labor dividend, probably a point of view, is to see people as a resource.、Uh, if the elder population in China can、uh, work, can consume, can invest, we can also say they are a kind of labor dividend. We、mm. can't. Totally say that they are a burden to our society or to our government. We must have a positive eyes on the aging population issue in China.、Mm. And to Stuart, what's your opinion? We know that、um, the society you are living in,、uh, Hong Kong, is also an aging society, right? Do you see aging population as more of a headwind or an opportunity for the government? HSBC, you know,、um, the bank once described the aging population Asia's foremost long-term headwind. Uh, I, I mean, I think I well. First, I just want to re-emphasize something that Nigel just said there,、mm. which is that you know when we talk about the older population, I mean, what does that mean? I mean,、right. I, if you think about a fifty-five-year-old compared to a hundred-year-old, this is a completely different,、mm. right? These are completely different people with completely different characteristics, completely different needs. And similarly, if you think about an eighty-year-old today, 
in China compared to an 80 year old 30 years ago, and probably compared to an 80 year old in 30 years time, they will also be completely different, right? So I think that's the first thing that we have to do before saying whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing is to actually break it down into its kind of constituent parts and try to understand this older population better right. and these dynamic changes in health and in education and in skills and in savings rates and in income and wealth and all of those and digital literacy and all of these things which have changed over time and will continue to change over time. In terms of whether it's a, a headwind or an opportunity, the way I think of this. And actually, funnily enough, you mentioned HSBC. One of my very good friends, Harold von der Linde, who is an equity uh, strategist at, for Asia at HSBC, he mm-hmm. takes a very different approach right. on this, right? That actually, and one of his analogies, which I've kind of stolen, is that population aging is like the rain. It's like when it's raining outside. When it's raining outside, there's not much you can do about it, right? It's going to rain, okay, unless you're going to cloud seed or whatever. But right, basically, if it's raining, it's raining. It's inevitable in the same way that population aging is inevitable. That challenge or the issue is how you respond to the rain. If you just go and stand outside in the rain, and or if you don't prepare for the rain, or you don't prepare for uh, it raining very hard and very fast, you're going to have a problem, right? You're going to get wet, your land's going to flood, everything's going to be a mess. However, you can see, you look at the forecast, yeah, it's going to rain over the next few days. Well, you know what, you prepare for it, and you change your behaviour. And you say, well, I'm going to I'm going to carry an umbrella today, so I mm. don't get wet. And in fact, I'm going to use the rain and channel the rain into making my tree grow, making my grass grow, making my corn grow, whatever it is, right? So the rain can be a valuable resource. So mm. it's something that's inevitable, which, yes, of course, it could be a tremendous headwind if we're not prepared for it, if we don't adapt society, to, if we carry on as a kind of business as usual. But on the other hand, if we just say, well, look, this is just a new reality, a new paradigm, we have to adapt to it, then there's no reason why it couldn't be an opportunity. Mm. Yes, apparently um, the authorities here uh, would like to see um, the old-aged people as an asset instead of some burden. Mm. So they introduced this uh, first, I would say, first guideline specifically focused on this group of people. But to Zhe as a specialist in investment, uh, like uh, Stuart just mentioned, how would you define the, the consumers of silver economy. We know in Europe, for instance, um, in the UK, people over the age of 50 are seen as consumers in, in silver economy. That, that, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I think Stuart has, has talked about it very right, is that, you know, people are changing. I mean, people today at their age of 55 or 60 are very different from people like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, because of the changing of the life expectancy, because of the changing of the nutrition and mm. the health status. I mean, take, take my father, for example. He was born in 1955, and he's about uh, 69 this year, and he's got his own garden. He's got all those things that are really heavy to carry. Uh, one of his biggest equipment, I think it's about uh, six or seven kilograms heavy, and he's, he's living it all day. So it doesn't really look like someone who is, in our imagination, the, the idea that we have got over the past many years, someone who is close to their age of 70 should should be getting. You know, Chinese has a saying that it's rare to have someone who is as old as the age of 70. Right. Uh, but now my father is 69. He, he doesn't look uh, any different from people who is uh, still walking. And I have got some uh, uncles as well, his, uh, who is also, you know, in his age of 72 or 73, I think, who's also working very hard every day. They, their health status looks really, really good. So that's one thing for national policy is that if you set a policy for retirement, you have to keep on adjusting this uh, retirement policy because people work later and later in their lives. I mean, look at Warren Buffett. He's, I think it's, uh, he's 94 this year. He was, he was born in 1930. Right. He's 94 this year. So in our own, uh, well, 
previously we thought people, uh, you know, aging 94 was really rare, uh, but he's still working as the chairman of a financial group that is employing about a million people. Uh, and Charlie Munger just died a, a few months ago. He was, well, one month to his age of 100. He was also uh, accepting interviews before that. So if, if you look at people's working ages, it's, it's actually going longer and longer. So uh, the policy has to be adjusted. But one obstacle facing all these policies is that if you put the retirement age to be like two or three years later, uh, that people will get that pension two or three years later, then people are not happy about that. Mm. And you get a lot of criticism from all over the society that why should you let us to be you know, retiring late? That's also a, a problem for the policies. So I think the policies should also focus on one area is that rather than purely get away people's retirement salary for like two or three years, give the older people more jobs and more opportunities of jobs to do so that people are you know, in this case, people will be happy because they still get their retirement salary, but there are more jobs opening to them on the society. So they have probably doubling their incomes. I mean, look at many uh, people in China right now aged between uh, 60 to 70. The worker, the workers, normal people, they earn like a few thousand or 10 or 20,000 yuan per month, and they still got their salary. So people are still happy about this policy. So that's a very uh, critical thing for the policies to change. You know, you have to take into the consideration that people are becoming you know, more and more healthy and they're more capable of working at an older age. So are you saying that we, we're supposed to work like uh, what the Japanese do and work till the last minute of their life? You think the government should encourage people to do that? Jiahe? Oh, I mean, this is something... Well, if, if you talk about people's retirement life, what kind of retirement life would be better? Because I have been, uh, you know, getting away from my office for five years. I found out is that if you don't work, if you don't work, then your life is really boring. I mean, sitting at home for like three months without doing anything a day. Imagine this. You can, you can do whatever you're at home. You, you have enough income. You can eat all day, which will definitely will get fat. Um, <laughs> and you can play your computer games all day and you get your eyes, you know, a bit dizzy. You can't see things um, at all. So you can't just do whatever you want every day it's really boring a kind of life if you really have that life for like one or two years you will, you will know what i mean and you want something to do and this thing must be socially connected and it must be meaningful so so from this point of view then working well probably not the last minutes but last a few months of your life is really something amazing for people but the thing is that you can't make people feel that they have to work until the last few months of their lives then they, they will say okay that's a suffering because i don't want to work what you want to do is that you want to introduce people to love their jobs and give them something that they really enjoy doing. Don't well for people like in their age of sixty-five or seventy, they really don't have to work for money. So government have to give them enough pension in this uh, from this point of view. But also the thing is that in order to have a very enriched, uh, you know, retirement life, um, you have to get something that you enjoy doing, mm -hmm. enjoy doing with people. You know, for example, taking care of other people's kids. You know, uh, not for money-based thing, but just a volunteer thing or something like a social organized stuff. So, so that's really. A a good thing, but you just don't have to. You have to not people feel that uh, they have to work. Mm. Then that's a really horrible thing. Everybody will be against that. But but you have to give people something that they love to do, they enjoy doing, which is also uh, beneficial to the society as well. Right, uh, Nigerian. It seems uh, the new guidelines issued by the government this time um, hasn't mentioned anything about that, right? Oh uh, yes, that's right. I think what we are talking about is the choice of retirement or yes. work, right? Yes, and uh, yes, there was the policy that we we will postpone the retirement age, but after three years of pandemic, I think that is not the focus of our whole society. Right now, we are focusing on to improve the working conditions, to improve the employment chances, also to improve the uh, the services or facilities to the elder people's uh, lives. 
So I think the most important thing, in my opinion, is the concern about the social stability. That is to say, if right now we postpone the retirement age, there might be a kind of stirs in the whole society, which may lead to the results and the consequences that we are not in, in favor. So I think in a certain uh, gap of time, I don't think there's any kind of postponing retirement age issue. But I think the most important thing in the policies is to give people more capacity to make their own choices, uh, to make the retirement decisions on their own situations. That is not the way of government do. Our government can only give the pension age policy. And the retirement from the labor market is the only decision of the specific people. So I think we must uh, separate the pension age and the retirement age. The pension age is a kind of policy which can be issued by the government. Well, the retirement age, I think, in my opinion, should be leave to the specific person to make their own decisions. You're listening to the Chat Lounge. When we come back, we'll check out the investment opportunities up for grabs. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chat Lounge, and we're discussing the growing potential of China's silver economy. And to Stuart, uh, I'm not sure if you've uh, read about the new guideline of the 26 measures outlined in four key areas. We have guiding catering companies and elderly care institutions and providing meal assistance services. That's very specific. Bolstering uh, the geriatric medicine medicine departments. Uh, that's related to seniors, right? Geriatric medicine mm. departments in, in general and traditional Chinese medicine hospitals. Establishing 10 high-level silver economy industrial parks and develop uh, financial products for pension funds. Which one or ones do you think is most urgently needed? The short answer for me, sure going to be slightly different to what many other people would say, is one of those 23, which is to improve rural elderly care services. I think this is really uh, of the utmost priority um, in China right now. And okay. I think this this goes back to, a little bit to the conversation we've just had here, you know, about what is the point of the silver economy, right? Mm. Is it just about Consu- con- making more and consuming more and generating more money mm. and if it is then obviously then there's going to be a focus on the middle right this is going to be an urban middle class older population that is going to be targeted right mm. but of course when we look across china again a 60 year old professional in beijing is very very different to a 60 year old lifelong farmer in Gansu, or mm. a 60 year old construction worker in shenzhen or in guangzhou or a 60 year old woman who has been has had to spend 25 years of her life caring for children or for for, for aged parents, mm. right? So in that sense, I my kind of yeah, of course, all of these things are important about product development and IP and you know high tech industrial parks. And this, there's no doubt about that. But for me, it would be the goal of developing this economy is that it should be inclusive and it should be a means and a motor to be able to improve improve the lives and well-being of all older people in China, mm. not just those who are fortunate enough to have the resources to be able to make these 
tremendous new consumption decisions. Like Jaho, right? Well, that's what that's. I'm not going to say. <laughs> I wish I could have Jaho's license for me. I mean, that's not my retirement for sure. Um, but no, no, I think that it's the two don't have to be. I think there's this myth that you know, whatever we want to say, capitalism and socialism or that the consumption and production or the, and the social policy and industry are somehow odds with each other, right? It's not always needs the development of one can be a motor and a means to development of the other. And, mm. you know, and we, we see that at the moment, if you the other way around, if you've got a healthier workforce, if you re- reduce poverty, you increase you increase skills in education, that improves productivity, right? So it can go, it can go both ways. Right. Because you were in Hong Kong, I, I thought you would choose like you know establishing the ten high-level silver economy industrial parks, which includes, I think, the Greater Bay Area, right? Yeah, but well, but then, but I'm really my specialism is in social policy. So right. If you wanted somebody, if you got somebody from the business school, I'm sure that's what they would say. But I, you know, I, I mean, I, as I say, I mean, I think all of these twenty uh, six different areas, and that's why I kind of like the approach because they're basically saying, look, we have to focus on everything, right? Yeah. We have to look at this in a kind of holistic and systematic way, rather than just say, okay, yeah, we've got to build some industrial parks in mm. uh, Bay or whatever it is. No, 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 no. You have to look at this in a um, in a, in a holistic way, which I think is what the government is is at least aiming to do. Mm. All right, Tijaga, I know you got a slightly different emphasis, um, but among those 26 measures, also the same question to you, which one would you highlight or think it's the most urgently needed? Well, when we look at the uh, you know the aging issue in China currently, it's a very, actually a very complicated issue. It's not only one measure that can really save That's the true. whole stuff you know it's, it's it's all sorts of things i mean uh, we have to probably readjust the, uh, the the whole system slightly i mean not not completely reverse the whole system but readjust a lot of details uh, from area to areas so so that's some that's why they got like 26 uh, mirrors but you, you got this uh, you know main driving forces right and as we, we yeah, I mean, mm. currently, I think there are a few points uh, that are most important in China's uh, aging issue and the retirements, uh, uh, well, retirement issue. Uh, one thing is that we've got a pretty low birth rate. If you look at the birth rate of China, it's, it's really low at the moment. Uh, so that, that's so that hard to tackle for, in the short term. Well, from the detailed information we get from hospitals, and it's actually this data is reversing well, it's very possibly will be reversed in 2024. Uh, but that's probably for a short period of time because people, you know, cut a lot of plans of uh, giving birth to new kids uh, over the pandemic era. And now after the COVID is gone, some people start to have more baby. But having more new uh, babies cannot solve the the issue on the other end of the, of the age spectrum, right? So we're now focusing on and the seniors, their needs well, that's one. Well, because if you have more uh, young younger people, then the, the then the task of caring for uh, you know elders would be uh, easier. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is that currently China is having a very early retirement age. I mean, look at how early people are retiring here. Well, the male expected to retire at sixty, and some are probably sixty one or sixty two. And if you look at the female, the retirement age is fifty five. And some of them even at 50, if they are classified to uh, hard labor workers. 
Uh, and if you look at the United States, they have a very similar life expectancy compared with China. And their retirement age is much later. I think it's 67 or 68 or something. Um, so, so that really means we're having we're losing a large amount of labor during their age of 60 and 70. And well, that's actually what I can tell from my family is that you know people at their age of 65 are really capable to work. I think my dad should be sent back to, to his bank. You know, <laughs> he should retire at his age of 50, uh, 58 or 59 or something. He should go back to work. He's he's working perfect. It all right. So, so why, why just letting retire? And he's getting a huge amount of retirement salary, and it's even higher than the, the average salary of the city, only because he, well, because he retired, and it just it doesn't have to work anymore. So that's something that China really uh, have to adjust. So that's one thing that we shouldn't let people retire later than p- uh, countries like uh, you know Japan, United Kingdom, France, U.S. But at least our retirement age should be matching to these uh, societies uh, if we can find that our life expectancy is the same. But if if we compare with you know probably like Japan is that Japan has a longer life expectancy compared with China, then probably our retirement age should be. Um, you know, earlier than Japan. So that's something I said, we need a lot of adjustment on the, these parameters. We, we have to change to that. Uh, because if you look at the current retirement age of China, I mean, male at 60 and female at 55, it's actually set out decades ago when people had a much shorter life expectancy. Uh, so if you ask everyone, do you want to retire later? Then everyone says, we don't want to re- uh, retire later. I don't right, want to retire right. now. But, you know, people are really against this policy. But this policy is something that you have to set because it's really not fair when, when these countries are having similar life expectancy, but we have a much earlier retirement age. Right. Uh, we understand your stance, but maybe that's for another session. Back to the guideline introduced uh, this time. Um, Naijun, what would be your pick uh, yes, uh, I agree on that. There's, there are so many things needed in the silver economy. From my point of view, I think the facility as a facility construction and the human resources in this elder care service facilities are of great importance mm. uh, because of the shortage of the numbers. As we all know, as we have said that we have uh, 300 million people aging 60 and above, but the total facilities of elder care service in China is only 40,000. And the people who are working in these facilities are only four to five million. So you can see the gap between the supply and the, the demand. Mm-hmm. And right now, I think the elder care service industry is not a high salary sector, mm-hmm. which means it cannot attract talented young people which can give a high quality of the services. So we can see this is a vicious cycle. Uh, this kind of sector is in shortage, but the income and the prospect of the working is not that good as finance or IT or other sectors. So it cannot attract more young people. Then it makes the services, uh, the quality of the services less satisfied. Then the, this kind of sector cannot grow. So we must end this vicious cycle. We must put more resources. We must encourage our young people to work in elder care service sectors. That is a big issue. And I don't think the policy alone can solve the problem. We must have the whole society to put in. For example, the private sector. The, the third sector, we all have to put in resources and emphasizes on this kind of sector to solve the problem. So what's the situation where the source shortage compared with other countries like Japan or the UK as well? What kind of level are we at right now? Have you done any comparison work there? Nigerian? I guess, yes. The population aging situation in China right now is more or less the same as the 1980s in UK or in US. That is the the question we have to face because only in the year 2000 we enter the aging population. Our 65 
and above population is about was about seven percentage of total population in the year 2000. That is the entry of population aging. But right now, as we have said, that more than 15 percent of total population aging 65 about. Uh, that is to say, we only use 23 years to have a situation such as the case in UK or in US, but they take uh, nearly half a century to get to this point of view. Mm -hmm. So I think so we lost it so fast, which means uh, we are not ready for this. There are so many things we have to do about the labor translation, about the resource uh, investment, about the policy, and about the people's attitude or something like that. Uh, for example, if you see the people who are working in the healthcare service industry, they are in their 50s or 40s. Uh, they used to work in the first sector or in the second sector, and only in this healthcare service less than one year. So I think in the future, if we want to solve the problem, we must encourage our young people who may be born in 1980s or 1990s, or who were born after 2000s to go to the work in the healthcare service sector, which is not easy because the young people will see the money, will see the income, will see the prospect, et cetera, et cetera. As we all know that healthcare service is not attractive to young people. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's easy. It is easy to solve the problem. Stuart, your observation there, especially from the Hong Kong point of view, you've also uh, worked and lived in the UK, right? What, what's yeah. your comparison or your conclusion there? Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, Nai Jun is really is, is spot on with all of those mm. observations. I think that for me, I think what we have to do is just be realistic about the fact that, you know, attitudes, you know, the, the whole issue of whether it's a silver economy or whether it's working in care homes, it's not very sexy, right? Mm. It doesn't, when there's a million other things to do, and if you're, you know, if you're in a fintech, if you're a 22-year-old working in a fintech company in uh, in Shenzhen, I mean, this is not going to be your number one priority, mm. right? Is is thinking about these kind of things, right? We, we, we know that. But mm. I think a big part of that is about how we, uh, one part of it is how we present the issue, right? That we always talk about aging as a problem, right? The aging society is a problem. Mm. And we also can, talk, I mean, like this whole thing of even the silver economy. But frankly, I think even the word is a bit patronizing, right? Because like to boil everything down to what might happen to your hair when you get into older age, right? It's It has this slightly kind of demeaning, kind of patronizing, um air about it which again doesn't kind of contribute to things if you if you change it around and just say well look 60 year olds need different goods and services to 20 year olds this is obvious but then also so do 40 year olds and 50 year olds and 90 year olds and five year olds and 10 year olds right so instead of seeing it as a kind of a designing products and services for older people mm -hmm. it's just be age and need sensitive so that's the first thing that we can do is just change the way that we talk about it mm -hmm. But then the same thing, and, and Nigel is right here about the absolute need to invest in the care sector. Mm. And in fact, many studies from around the world have shown that you know investing in the care economy yields enormous returns, right? But in order to do that, we have to make it a decent job, right? right. But I can never understand why we pay the people who do the hardest, most difficult, most important jobs, like you know looking after our parents and grandparents and really taking care of them and we pay them the least mm. of the time and we give them the least opportunity for professional development and we give them li little dignity that doesn't make any sense to me mm. that's complete back to front right so until we give the care sector the credit and the dignity and the pay that it deserves then I, I think it's going to be very difficult for that sector to grow and and let's and i'm afraid to say this is where you know i 
I think I might disagree with my friends in the business school because, like, you know, care companies make a lot of money. There's, there's not money there. It's not as if people won't pay for it. But unfortunately, that money is not being uh, handed down to the people who need it most, who are the workers. Yeah, right. And Nigel and、uh, Stuart, you mentioned a lot of bottlenecks that we need to tackle while developing the silver economy. So difficulties means、um, opportunities. Well,、uh, Jaha, you're an investment specialist. What kind of opportunities, investment opportunities, are there, and which sectors maybe do you recommend? Since you know the government has given priority to the development of the sector, the silver economy, right? Well,、uh, the government has actually given quite a lot of、uh, you know, investment guidance to the silver economy.、Uh, I'm, I'm currently in the Hainan province, and, and we have got a lot of retirement parks here,、uh, including you know taking care of the elders,、uh, you know medical service, all these kind of things. So、mm-hmm. people have been、uh, rushing into investment in Hainan, and Hainan is actually famous for、uh, all these kinds of、uh, you know facilities.、Mm-hmm. But if we look at all these investments, there there are a lot of growth in the future. So if you, if you look at the secondary markets, the stock market. Market that we are currently investing in, you can see that some medical companies are having like、uh, you know five to ten percent growth as,、uh, every year. So that's a pretty uh, good targets, and I'm I'm actually holding two companies in this category.、Mm-hmm. Uh, also, another area is the Chinese medicine because you know、um, compared with the Western medicine, Chinese medicine are more useful when we talk about daily healthcare. So with、uh, you know more people getting into their retirement、uh, age, then Chinese medicine is also another industry, and it's also、uh, being. Promoted very strongly by the government, so that's also another area that you might want to look at. Maybe what、uh, Stuart just mentioned—it reminds me of something like a、um, staff training center. Probably, would it be a good investment? <laughs> probably not. That depends because if you look at business, and the business has two things. First of all, is that whether this industry is going to grow in the future. So if you are in an industry that is shrinking, then you will have a very, very high life.、And、the second is the competition between different businesses. Because if an industry is growing, you are not promised to make money. You can only make money if you can win out in the severe competition with other businesses. I mean, everyone knows this industry is growing, so a lot of people are actually rushing in. A lot of capital are rushing in, building a lot of facilities, and Can you win out the competition? So, so that's also another thing. So, when people are talking about investing in the retirement industry, these are the, well, the first question they don't have to really consider because this industry is definitely growing. You're you're having a promising, fast-growing industry, then then that's fine. But for the second question, is that you really have to figure out whether you can win out the competition. The chat lounge. The chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Right,、uh, Najin. I know you study、uh, employment. Would you say silver economy would be a trend for for employment or for you know those college graduates? Do you recommend? Oh well,、that? yes. Right, choose this.、Um... Yeah, yes, there are so many factors to attract the new graduates students to work in this industry. But as we all know that,、uh, yes, you have to consider the the income and the dignity, as Stuart has said, and some kind of prospect of their career. So. I think as to silver economy, we must、uh, be cautious that any kind of industry relating to healthcare services can only mean profits or can only what we say achieve success in the long run. So I think what I recommend to the new graduates is, is to be patient, is to be persistent, is to wait, not to see, not to win, not to earn quick money or to earn big money in the short term is impossible. So if you can be patient, if you can be persistent. If you are really interested in serving the elder people, 
you can go to work in these sectors. But as we all know that the job opportunity in these sectors are, in my opinion, are very tricky. The, the demand is so huge, while the supply is not huge enough. But if the young people want to work in this sector, I think they are all welcome. Uh, but it is on the basis that there are more opportunity, opportunities in the future, which means that not only the state-owned companies can work in this sector, but we should encourage all private sectors, all uh, private capitals to invest in this sector. Mm. But this is also another issue. I agree with Jiahe that there are some kind of capitals or uh, some kind of private investment are focusing on a silver economy, but they can only earn money or profit in the long run. Mm. So they can't win quick money. So this sector is, in my opinion, cannot generate profits in less than 10 years. Mm. And then we will ask the investors, can you wait for that long time? If you cannot win it, if you want to win quick money, I don't encourage you to invest in this sector. Mm. <laughs> now, what about the luxury products? You know, in those developed countries, this group of people are a target market of luxury brands or high-end um, tourism, right? So, Jiahe, what's your take there? If you talk about luxury projects, then that's probably a hard thing, because if you look at the consumption behavior of people who are older, because they're actually losing the, the huge amount of income that they might uh, be able to generate uh, when they were working, and they only earning a salary that is uh, based on retirement salary, uh, then their consumption behavior would tend to be you know, moving away from stuff like anything that is luxury. Well, this is the current consumption uh, pattern that we can observe from people who are old. Uh, but the thing might change. You know, things are, I remember Stuart said in the very early of this program, people are changing every decade and people are becoming different, different. So this consumption behavior is what we can see from the current people who are retired, who was born in 1950 or 1960 or 1940. But uh, you know, 20 years later, this might change because at that time, the, the retired people will be those who were born in 1980 or 1990. And they will feel that, OK, I might be able to consume something that is luxury. So that might change after like two or three decades. But currently, we don't really observe this kind of consumption pattern. People intend to save more money uh, mm -hmm. after they become retired. Right. Maybe that's the main difference between senior people in China's mainland and those in um, Western developed countries. Stuart, do you see big potential there? Well, I, I think in in the I mean, of course, look, luxury products is only ever going to be is only ever going to be a marginal uh, issue mm. for um, for any part of the population, whether it's young, middle aged, or older. I'm no investor, uh, you know, but I, I, the one thing I do tend to, um, one thing I think I know, and I think the one thing where I would agree, definitely, I, mean, I agree a lot with Yahoo, is that at the end of the day, quality wins out, right? right? If you're looking in the long term for whatever kind of company um, it is. And I think that, you know, and particularly if you've saved your entire life uh, for something and, you know, you have experience, you've seen a lot, you know, you'll be able to identify quality. You'll be able to notice, well, this is actually, this is worth spending my money on. This is a good deal. This is something that's going to last. And whether or not that is, you know, a, a good, a particular consumption good, whether or not this is clothing, whether or not this is uh, uh, tourism or some uh, or tr some travel opportunities, whether or not this is a financial service, or to go back to what we we're talking about before, whether or not this is planning for care. And, you know, that's where I think that there is this big opportunity for high quality care services, right, mm. where, which you don't mind paying for and families won't mind paying for because of course in a lot of cases not only older persons themselves are going to be paying for care services but it will be their families their children as well mm. and we naturally want the best 
for our family and if we are guaranteed if we can get something close to a kind of a guarantee that uh, our loved ones are going to get really the best possible care towards the end of their lives mm. through well-trained caring care workers then you know i think that's that's something that that people of all ages would get behind and would invest in but i i i think i would agree with uh, Nigel that, that you know some of the big growth areas that we see at the moment like you know assisted robotics and geron technology and things right. like that uh, you know they're growing AI. but AI, yeah of course it's inevitable we can't have any discussion without talking about mm. ai but you know it's um you know these are all growing and developing and you go to these expos we have a big one here in hong kong every year of uh, these geron tech expos with companies from um, mainly Japan, but also here in Hong Kong and the mainland coming to show off their wares. And that sector is growing, but, you know, we're still a long, quite a long way off, right? Mm. Until we are replacing humans with robots who are going to go around picking people up and carrying people around and helping them go to the loo and washing them and getting into bed. You know, they, we're, we can't kid ourselves that this is just around the corner, right? We're still some way uh, away from that kind of future. Mm, indeed. So currently, maybe the answer is no for those luxury product providers to enter this sector at this stage. All right, then let's talk a little bit about the problems that emerged in developing the silver economy. Actually, we, we've already seen problems such as um, fundraising fraud, targeting the elderly and building so-called nursing homes or facilities for, for gaining government subsidies rather than providing serious and um, high quality elderly care services. So Nigel, how may the interests of the elderly, this group of people, be properly protected? What do you think the government needs to do? Well, I think the, uh, from the government's point of view that uh, the policy making, the guidelines setting and the quality of the services standards should be set up. That is what kind of the government had already do. In the last year, we see uh, the home service guideline issued, and we also see the basic uh, elder care service guidelines is issued. These two documents, in my opinion, are very important because they give the society a very a clear message that the, the basic responsibility of the government is to take basic uh, services. However, we can see that this is only basic service, which means it leaves room. It leaves other kind of, as you have mentioned, luxury services to, to high-end people, to the uh, private sector, to the society to develop. Uh, as we all know that some companies, some investments, some capitals are focusing on the kind of luxury or the high-end services, but in these luxury facilities, all the uh, other people's interests and the rights are protected under the, the guidelines of, of the last year. So I think uh, the guidelines, the standards, and the kind of protection policies are fundamental, but that's not enough uh, because in the real life, we also need some kind of strong protection issues, such as there must be a governmental body to guarantee that all the basic rights and interests are protected from the elder care services. And right now we can see that uh, this kind of government body is coming from the health department back to the civil service department. That is a good thing, in my opinion. So I think in the future, we can see some kind of more protections of the elder people's interests and, and uh, rights. Yeah, I actually have some uh, relatives uh, falling victim to, to such kind of scams. So I'm wondering, a steward, what are the practices in other societies like uh, Hong Kong or, or Britain or Japan? 
Uh, yeah, well, of course, awareness. I mean, it, it, uh, Nigel is right. It has to come from both sides, right? Yeah. So on the one hand, it has to be, you know, the government has to take a lead in regulation and in punishment and and raising awareness of these issues, right? This is important, obviously. But of course, on the other hand, you know, we have to have individual responsibility as well, right? That that every that uh, individuals need to become more aware of these um, uh, of these kind of scams and these kind of frauds, and that comes about not just in you know, through kind of communication mm-hmm. as well. So that's not just communication from the government uh, or, or the private sector, but also within families as well. You know, that right. something that we shouldn't be afraid to talk about. But you know, to, and be, be careful not to do it in a kind of patronising way or, or, and to frighten people, right? Because that's the other danger that if you think everything is a scam, then you never answer the phone, uh, you never open. <laughs> A letter, you know, you 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 can be terrified about this, and we mm. shouldn't go to the extreme. But it should just be an open conversation within families. And I think similarly in terms of you know one thing which worries people a lot is kind of you know there's a lot of stories about abuse in care homes, right, mm. which we see in many different parts of the world. And, and again, I think that goes back to this theme of what we've talked about a little bit or quite a lot actually in the last hour is that you know why does this abuse take place in care homes and mm. I think again it's because it's from on the one side it's the the fact that we paint this view of older people as being vulnerable as being disposable right as being mm-hmm. uh, ones that you know have not had an equal place in our society but then on the other hand the uh, the people you know the care workers that we have uh, in those kind of institutions you know if they themselves are not treated with dignity given a proper opportunity to I mean, it's no excuse. It's absolutely no excuse for the terrible things that occur. But, mm-hmm. you know, that has to play a part in shaping their attitudes towards their job in, in the same way as it would in any job. So, you know, I think that that's, again, just another uh, and that's what other parts of the world is that, in, you know, investing in quality care workers is really important. Mm. <laughs> and Jaha, what would be your advice? I'm not expecting you to say that uh, work till, you know, very late into your life and and to avoid those problems well, that, that's that's a very hard issue i mean look at the 26 measures that the government gave out this time it's two of them are actually connected with you know the financial issues of the re- old and retired people one mm. is that to make more investments you know solid and stable investment targets to them uh, and the second is that you know fighting against the fraud that is uh, mainly aiming at the older people so you know it's, it's taking two uh, detailed lines in this document mm. um, and the, the the reason behind the government's been doing that is because you know there has been quite a lot of frauds aimed at uh, aiming at older people and that's also because if you look at the financial investment um, that is actually a very uh, specialized thing so many people are not really getting enough knowledge about how to invest especially those who are in their age of uh, 70 or 80, they, they don't really know much about investment. Um, actually, if you look at the past few years, uh, we have done some special things for retirement uh, in the financial field that many mutual funds in the past few years has set out the retirement fund that you have to buy the fund. If you buy the fund, then you must hold on for like 30 or 40 years until your retirement age to get it out. So that forced the people to invest for a long term and leave the professional things to you know, the professional people, as they say. Uh, although the market has been falling in recent months and these funds probably have lost like a few percentage points, but they're actually uh, much better than you know most uh, other funds compared with the market. So it's actually quite a lot of things that has been uh, conducted, and I think the government is also uh, keep on uh, working in these areas. Mm. 
to the last part, I guess um, maybe each of you can provide one piece of advice for, for those who want to spend a exciting or peaceful or wonderful uh, retirement life. I know none of us have been there yet, but um, shall we start with um, this time, uh, Jacko, please? Well, okay. I think for for the retirement life, the most important thing is to keep well, try to keep as healthy as you can. You know, in your age of sixty or seventy, the most important thing is probably about how healthy you are. Mm. You know, working around and playing in the park all day is very different uh, compared with laying on the bed all day. So that's the most important thing. The second is that try to keep your financial investment stable and healthy. You don't have to make a lot of money, but your investment must be very stable. Put your money only in the very trustworthy financial institutions like the very large national bank stuff like that and try to maintain a large percentage of cash uh, treasury bond all these kind of things don't don't drop yourself into too much specialized investment uh, and finally is that try to find something that is interesting to do you know don't set out a target just for yourself try to engage into the society you know do something useful for the society and you will get rewarded from these activities mm, steward would you uh, stick with health uh, yeah, I, well, I, I would, but I'll I, I will stick my neck out and go a little bit further. Right. Um, um, I think I would say that the single most important thing I think you can do is to really know what lies ahead of you. And I think this is one thing that we've found is that you know people oftentimes they're going to seriously underestimate you know, like how long they're going to live for, for example, right? Because our experiences of old age and death in older age is often based around our grandparents. Right, or our parents. Now we're going to live a lot longer than our grandparents, generally mm-hmm. speaking. So we have to be kind of aware of just how much, how long we're going to live for, and how much money we're going to need, and how much you know what resources we're going to need for that kind of period of time. So I think it's about kind of a, a financial and demographic literacy, mm-hmm. I suppose. In that, and then the last thing I would say is, uh, I know this so obvious advice is to sound ob- kind of trite, but uh, this is actually for Dahur. You start investing young, mm. right? If you start putting in your, you start putting your money uh, into the kinds of um, you know, products and financial service, the proper hands. You know, when you take your first job, and that's the thing. I remember when I took my first job, and I started paying into my pension. And honestly, I wrote an email to my employer saying, "Why am I paying into my pension? I'm not going to retire for like 40 years. This is ridiculous. I'd rather have the money now." Mm. And they wrote back. I don't think you should do that. That's a really bad idea. And I'm really glad that they did because, you know, you the earlier you start, like the easier it is when you actually reach retirement, right. I would say. Fair enough. And last but not least, Nigel, please. Uh, okay, I, I agree with all the suggestions that the two gentlemen have made. But my extra more is that to keep a good kind of attitude towards aging, uh, we must be a kind of positive way and we must uh, make sure that the future is better than what it is today. So we have great confidence, we have a positive way of future, and then it makes of our, uh, in my opinion, way of preparation is more uh, a happy one uh, that is more important. Very important. Stay positive and always stay on the bright side of life. And on that note, we've come to the end of our chat. Thanks to Professor Hunai Jun, School of Public Policy and Management, University of Chinese Academy of Sciences. Professor Stuart Detail Baston, Divisions of uh, Social Science and Public Policy, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Beijing-based Novan Markey Technologies, for sharing your experiences and insights. Show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, please email 
radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for being with us. We'll chat again next time. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.